Ms. Kayla, Ms. Heidi, thank you, Ms. Robin, Rondi, for your ministry to us in music this morning. On behalf of the staff, I want to say thank you, church family, for your kindness to us last week and just uh, Christmas time. The church always does something for our staff. I'm going to uh, read uh, a friend of mine had posted yesterday, dear friend of mine, uh, had posted uh, the an old story from a pioneering, um, a pastor during pioneer days. And I uh, think about, I read it and I wept and I thought of how blessed we truly are and uh, how blessed I am just as a pastor, just not only to have a home, but to have a beautiful home and, and uh, how good the church just takes care of us and loves us. And not just me, but Pastor Brent and Miss Kayla and also Pastor Allison. So we want to just say thank you, church. We, we should, I know you appreciate us. You tell us that all the time, but please know it's mutual. Amen. We, we truly appreciate each of you. We started our series on December 10th, kind of a mini-series here, The Characters of Christmas. And we looked at, in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, we looked at Joseph and Mary. And we talked about how they were simple people. Joseph was a carpenter, Mary was a handmaiden, soon to be a housewife and mother, just simple people. They were spiritual people, they were people that uh, believed the Old Testament, walked in the ordinances, kept the feasts, and <clears throat> did the things that God had told them to do. They were also special people in the fact that God had selected them for something that would only happen once in all of history. And by the way, if you don't, sometimes we just think of Mary as being the special one. Imagine being Jesus' stepfather. Hmm? That is, uh, I think those of us, when, when you become a father, you can tell everybody you can give everybody advice, young, young uh, people, as they get ready to experience the birth of their child. But Brother Wally, until it happens, you don't really know. And you hold that little one in your arm, and you look at them, and they look back at you, and you think the responsibility that you have, not just to feed and clothe, but to guide, provide, Encourage, share wisdom with. I mean, all of that. It seems like it comes on you when you lock eyes with that little one. Now think about Joseph knowing that this was the Son of God. The angel told him. That's, that's pretty special. That's not pretty special. That's just special. Amen? So they were special people. They were spiritual people. They were simple people. They were surrendered people. The angel came and told both Mary and Joseph, this is what's going to happen, it's of the Lord. And in essence, they said this, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And to prove that, they were also submissive people. As Mary began expecting, and there came the decree that we read about here, we read about today from Caesar Augustus, that everybody had to go back to their own city and be taxed. Go back to Bethlehem. So then, in our second message last week, we not only looked at the journey of Bethlehem and Joseph and Mary, but we looked at the birth of the Savior. And of course, that character is Jesus Christ, the character of Christmas. And we talked about his birth and how it was a planned birth. Long before the fall of man, 
God designed a master plan. He exchanged the sinner for the sinless one. But how did he do that? Through the birth of a baby in Bethlehem. It was a planned birth. It was a predicted birth. Isaiah chapter 7 predicted that he would be born of a virgin. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 predicted that he would be born in Bethlehem. That's exactly what happened and that's exactly where it took place. So it was a planned birth. It was a predicted birth. It was a perfect birth. The perfect Son of God was born and you know what else he was born? He was born at the perfect time. When the fullness of the time was come, Galatians 4.4 says, God sent forth His Son made of a woman. It was a perfect birth. And then really we focused most of our attention last week on the fact that it was a purposed birth. <clears throat> when Jesus, as He was getting ready to go to the cross, He stood before Pilate and Pilate was questioning, Are you a king? And He said, well, He said, I, you know, went back and forth and said, Listen, to this end was I born. Which is a strange thing to say when you're about to go to a Roman cross and be crucified. But those of us that know the scriptures know it wasn't a strange thing. That's why he was born. What, why was he born? He was born to dwell amongst us as a man. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And you know what else he did when he dwelled among us? He understood us as a man. He suffered and was tempted just like we are as a man. And it tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18, and he is able to secure, to understand those that are tempted, to help those that are tempted because he himself was tempted. So to dwell amongst us was his purpose of his birth. To, hey, to die for sinners. Amen? He had to be born to live to die. Christ died for us. Amen? Not only to die for sinners and to dwell amongst us as a man, but how about this? To destroy that last enemy. Say, so what's the last enemy? Death. And you know what Jesus destroyed it with? Death. How to, uh, just, just chew on that for a little while, amen? That our Savior took death. Why? So that one day there will be no more death. Hallelujah. Not only to destroy the last enemy, but to defeat the devil. I mentioned a quote by Vance Havner last week in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, that he might destroy the works of him that hath the power of death, that is the devil. And old Vance Havner said this, he said, he hasn't come to brush away the cobwebs, he came to kill the spider. Amen. And that's exactly what he did through his birth. And through his birth, really, you know what he did most of all, was he demonstrated God's love for us. He demonstrated God's love. In this was manifested the love of God that He sent forth His only begotten Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I have a great quote here from a book on the Gospel of Luke written by G. Coleman Luck. And it really focuses on the first two verses of the text that we read. If you look back there, it says, And it came to pass... In those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. 
And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor in Syria. And here's the quote. In that day, it appeared that Augustus was a most important person. Millions moved at his beck and call. Joseph and Mary were just humble and insignificant people. Yet, it can now be easily seen that Caesar was really the insignificant person, merely a pawn in the plan of God. Joseph and Mary were by far the most important people on the face of the earth at that particular moment because Mary had within her womb the Savior of the world. Have you ever been part of a memorable worship service? I think of ones that I can recall in Memories Garden. I can recall the service when I trusted Christ. That's memorable. At least it should be. I was an adult. I, I know sometimes for children they have a hard time remembering exactly when. And by the way, that's okay. If you're a child, you don't have to remember the exact date. You have to know the Holy Spirit lives inside you. Amen. Know that you trusted Christ. But I remember when I got saved. I, I remember. I remember it. February of 1995, 29 years this coming, two months out. Unbelievable. I remember a, a service, I remember many services when the Word was preached so well. And uh, I remember a particular service in Bible College, a, a chapel service where a pastor named Jim Dennis from Ohio he was a Midwestern grad in the 60s, and we had, our, we had so many uh, alumni. You know, I was at Midwestern in 1997. It started in 1957, so we had 40 years of alumni to come and preach chapel, and it was wonderful. And I remember he, he was a sophomore, and he preached on the crucifixion, and it was like the, it was the first time I ever heard it. And I heard it many times by then. But just there were several of us that just sat there stunned and just kind of stayed in the chapel for a little while afterwards. I remember that. I remember I remember services where the tears flowed and it seemed like I was the only one in the room. And no one else, not, I would say no one else was crying, but it was just God was speaking to me. By the way, that's special. That's wonderful. You ought to ask God to do that. Each time when the Word of God is preached, speak to my heart, please, Lord. I remember Dr. Malone preached a message called Hell and the Lake of Fire. I went to the altar. My dad was lost at that time. I was a sophomore in Bible college. And I was just so burdened for his soul. So burdened. Went to that altar and was weeping, heaving, crying. You know, just... No, no amount of comfort or pat or anything like that. God did that. The Holy Spirit of God. That's a special worship service right there. Some of you have been in services where, by the way, and I, you know, everybody's different, but this running the aisle stuff and all that, that's, you know, forgive me, that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's in it. It just means somebody's getting some exercise. <laughs> Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's just a quiet service where one person steps out. I, I remember when, I can see him right now, 
was just trying to think of his last name. His first name was Larry. And uh, him and his wife, they, they came to our church. They used to live on Leroy. And uh, Mr. Judy, my memory's failing me. I remember his name was Larry. And I had just done his mother's funeral. And it was right around the time Bradley, uh, Brandon and Allie Hazelschwart had been married, too. And I've got, I've got the, the uh, stat right there. And, and he came walking. He, he, he walked on the outside. And then he walked here to an invitation. He walked right up the middle and walked right down to me and said, You know, I need to trust Christ. That doesn't happen all the time. I wish it happened more. I really do. Those are, those are memorable. Hey, by the way, some of you remember when your pastor passed out. That was pretty memorable. Some of you weren't here for that. Oh, my goodness. It was January of 2012. I was as sick, a dog, as sick as a dog and got up here and thought I could preach after I had, you know, let go of all my electrolytes all night long. And sure enough, about 30 minutes in, I turned as white as this tissue. Some of you were here for that. How many of you were here for that? Raise your hand. Oh, my goodness. And I looked out at Brother Horsch and I said, Brother Bill, I think you come take the invitation. And I went down like a sack of potatoes. And then all kinds of other things happened. Amen. That was memorable. <laughs> Some of you could go back, think about a memorable worship service. You know, I have enjoyed and been blessed by some bigger special meetings through the years, special conferences at different churches and whatnot, maybe even bigger churches, and maybe guest preachers share some, some deep truths and to multitudes, but truthfully, the older I get, the more I appreciate the simple, humble worship services. Services like we experience on a weekly basis. I think of services like tonight. It's just a special service. Uh, it used to bother me, you know, like we do Christmas Eve, Eve, try to accommodate everybody, and we'd, we'd have a low crowd. Oh, and I was a young, young pastor, it used to bother me. Oh, why, don't people, why don't people come, and this and that? And the older I get, I, I understand these kind of things. I'm just like, you know... When I look back on it, I appreciate the intimacy of the service. Again, we want more people to come. We want you to come tonight, please. But I think about our Crucifixion Wednesday service. What an intimate service that is. What a special service. I think about how we're going to close the year out with the Lord's table. That's special. Just a special worship service. And I go on and on. I think about our tabernacle services down there. You know, one of the things I love about our tabernacle service is we just spend a little extra time fellowshipping with each other and just, just talking and enjoying a little, little food and fellowship. It's nothing like a local church, ladies and gentlemen. It's really not. But here, we have one of the most memorable worship services, the first Christmas service in our text. Look at verse 8. It says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. This first Christmas service, it, it wasn't held in a temple. It wasn't held in a giant amphitheater. It wasn't held in a synagogue or a church or a cathedral. It was held on a hillside in Bethlehem. 
and was not attended by kings or governors or great scholars. It was attended by shepherds. So we looked three weeks ago at Joseph and Mary. And then last week we looked at Jesus Christ. And today we'd like to look at the shepherds, these characters of Christmas. And shepherds are humble, faithful, devoted, hardworking, common, regular, blue-collar people. That's what shepherds are. That's what they are. And shepherds are precious to God. We see the first mention of shepherds in Genesis chapter 46, verses 31 through 34, when uh, Joseph's brothers were coming down and Joseph was allocating land for them. And he said, just tell them you're shepherds. And remember why? Because the Egyptians despised sheep and shepherds and they would give them their own separate land. But then I think as we look through the Bible Many of you remember the young shepherd. Remember there was a battle going on. Really it wasn't a battle. It was a loudmouthed giant Philistine who was just sounding off and saying, Give me a man to fight! And Jesse had sent his son David to see how his brothers did. And, and you remember what was David's job? He was a... Shepherd. And a matter of fact, when, when nobody stood up and, and basically said, Hey, isn't somebody going to do something about this? And his brothers chided him. And he went to Saul and said, Hey, look, I was a shepherd and, and a lion and a bear came and I killed them both. It's a good shepherd, isn't it? A young shepherd. Hey, I think most of us know the story of the seeking shepherd. Not only the young shepherd, but the seeking shepherd. What's the seeking shepherd? That's in the parable of lost things in Luke chapter 15. What happens there? They have a hundred sheep. One of them is lost. And the shepherd leaves the ninety-nine to go and find that one. By the way, aren't you glad that he left the ninety-nine to find you? So there's the young shepherd, there's the seeking shepherd. Jesus said, did he not? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Again, if you're one of his sheep, it's because he gave his life for you. The young shepherd, the seeking shepherd, the good shepherd. I want to say this. I'm thankful to be a local church shepherd. I'm thankful for pastors that I have had through the years. Not every pastor is a shepherd. It's a fact. I wish it wasn't, but it is a fact. Peter gives us some great counsel in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. He tells us to take the oversight of the flock. We don't do it for filthy lucre examples, all those things. I'm glad for the local church shepherds that I've had in my life that have comported themselves well and been a good shepherd. 
But then there's not only the young shepherd and the seeking shepherd and the good shepherd and the local church's shepherd, but there's the chief shepherd. It says there in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, talking to the local church shepherds, he says this, that when the chief shepherd shall appear, he will give thee a crown of glory which fadeth not away. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Remember, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still water. Hey, he is the great shepherd, is he not? What were these shepherds doing? Or what did they do? What, what about this first Christmas service do we see in ways we can apply in our lives as well? Well, I want you to notice the first thing that they were doing. And it says there in verse number 8, it says, And there were in the same country shepherds, what? Abiding. Abiding. What does that mean? That means they were right where they were supposed to be. Can I tell you something, young person, older person? Older people tend to notice a little bit more than young people, but we can all benefit from this. You know, being in the right place will by default keep you from most times doing the wrong thing? Huh? Just, they were where they were supposed to be. They were abiding in the fields. We need some Christians that'll just abide in what the Word of God says. Just be where they're supposed to be. Listen, be a person of prayer. Listen, God tells us in Matthew chapter 6, it doesn't say, if thou prayest. Over and over it says, when thou prayest. Meaning this, the Christian ought to pray. Be somebody who prays. Be somebody who reads their Bible. Be somebody who comes to church. Be somebody, uh, listen, who, who witnesses, amen, and shares your faith with others. Listen, just be one of those Christians that's just abiding. Then it tells us something else. And it goes right along with abiding. If you look there again at verse number 8, what's it say there? It says, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So number one, what were they doing? They were abiding. Number two, they were watching. They were watching. They were, here they were on that hillside, they were looking at the sheep. They, forgive me, there were sentries. Centuries, and I mean a sentry standing at post. You ever seen in, in Britain, they've had the sentries there that they try to you know, get in front of them and make them move and all that, and they just stand still as could be. They were just watching those sheep. And this earth, I bet they were counting. 48, 49, 50. Okay. Start over on the other side again. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6... What are they doing? They not only were exactly where they were supposed to be, but watch this now, they were doing exactly what they were supposed to do. Can I tell you this, Christian? A lot of the Christian life is easy. Some of it's hard. It's hard because we fight a devil. We have the, the world, the flesh, the devil. I get that. 
But some of it is just, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's not that hard. It's, it's really not. It's just doing what you're supposed to do. I understand, listen, we, we slip, we make mistakes, we sin willfully, and all God's people said. I get that. What are the shepherds doing here at this first Christmas service? Forgive me, it hasn't even started yet. <laughs> it's, it's about 5.30 here at the church, amen? It hasn't started. There's, they're, they're just abiding. You know, in essence, what they're doing being faithful, aren't they? That is a hallmark of shepherds. And it ought to be a hallmark of God's people. We have had, through the years, some wonderful examples of faithfulness here. And go out and look at that board out there. We've got people here today. Miss Ruth Marie's here. Mr. and Mrs. Kelly's here. We got, to see, we got to sing to Mr. Jordan on Thursday night. That have been here, all of them have been here over 70 years, consecutive membership. Faithful. Faithful. That's what they are here, they're faithful. I, I've told this story before, but <clears throat> some officers came to Napoleon and they were recommending a man for promotion. And they talk, talked of some incredible deed that he had done in a battle. And it, it truly did turn the battle and win the battle. It, it, would be, it would be ribbon worthy, metal worthy in our day and age. And Napoleon said, good. What did he do the next day? Amen. One of the things I love about our staff, and I, I love many things about them, I don't love that Christmas suit, I've got to be honest, I just, that is a, just a hot mess. It's probably flame retardant too, you know, which is a shame, amen. I'll tell you one thing I love about them is they, they do good work on every day that ends in Y. They do faithful. You know what God wants you to be? Just like those shepherds. Before the worship service even started, just be faithful. They were abiding. They were watching. Verse 9. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. The, the service is starting. Amen. And what does it say? And they were one. So we see them abiding. Watching, fearing. You know, we, we live in a day where, and, and I remember this from 20 years ago, no fear. No fear. I'm sorry, but that's, that's not good. Uh, to the no fear crowd, well, put your hand in the fire then. No, you get close to fire, you give you a little fear that'll break through you. What is this a fear of? This is the proper fear of God. They knew this was the angel of the Lord. He was the angel of the Lord. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they became afraid, and they stood up. You know, one of the great angsts 
I have with the contemporary church are there is that they are very too irreverent and overly friendly with God Almighty. He's not the man upstairs. He's not your buddy. He is Almighty God, the creator of all that is by the word of his power, and he is to be feared. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They were fearing. By the way, I believe that goes right along with their character of abiding and watching led to fearing. But then we see something else that's very interesting. They do have this reverential fear of God. But then we find them listening. As they were abiding, as they were watching, as they were fearing, there they are listening. Verse 10. And the angel of the Lord said unto them, he's getting ready to speak. This angel, probably Gabriel, he's the angel of announcement. It said, what did he say? He said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away into the heavens, the shepherds said one to another, we'll get to this in a minute, let us go now even to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass. The very fact that they repeated what had happened told me that they were listening. I did a lot of junior church years ago. Half of junior church is crowd control. <laughs> That's true. If you ever worked on a bus route, and I used to do this all the time. If we're talking, we're not. And if we're, we're not. They were listening. The angel was talking, and they were listening. What were they? They were listening first of all to the messenger, the angel. But then they were listening to the message. And I love this. I, I, I got to thinking about this uh, this week. What was the main message? There are several messages that are given here. But you know what the first one is? It's the one that the angel communicated three times in three weeks of texts. Go back to Matthew chapter 1. And hold your place there in Luke 2. We're coming back and we're going to look at Luke 1 too. But we see this. I love this. This is so encouraging. He says in uh, verse number 20 of Matthew uh, chapter 1. Remember what happened here? <clears throat> verse 18, uh, the birth of, this, birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. His mother, spouse to Joseph, expecting of the Holy Ghost here. Verse 19, Joseph's trying to figure out a quiet way to deal with this so it's not a public embarrassment to her and, and all that. And then verse 20, but while he thought on these things, we looked at this last week, behold the, who? Angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, thou son of David, what? Fear not. not to take unto thee and marry thy wife. And he tells her what happened. But what's the first two words he says? Fear no. Go over to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. 
verse 26, please. Luke chapter 1. It says, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So here's the angel. This is a specifically named. This is Gabriel. Okay. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among, among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. And cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, What? Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And he basically said, you're, you're going to bring forth the Son of God. Look over to Luke chapter 2, in verse 10. Here's the, the tip of the message here that he, they're listening to. The angel of the Lord said unto them, what? Aren't you glad for that? Three different times in a very fearful situation... Three very fearful situations. The angel says, Fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But there's more to the message than just fear not, isn't there? If you look there, For unto you is born this day in the city. Well, verse, at the end of verse 10, Fear not, for behold, I bring you what? Good tidings of great joy. What those are tells us there for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You realize today that you're on your way to heaven because a Savior was born and because you trusted in Him. And if you're not, here's good tidings of great joy. What's that? There's a Savior. There's one who loves you and is willing to save you despite your sins. Knowing every sin you've already committed, knowing the sins you'll commit today, and knowing the sins you'll commit for the rest of your life, he was willing to be born, to live, to die, and to raise again for you. That's good tidings of great joy right there. What else? This shall be a sign unto you. He shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. But then it says something else. So this is just the angel of the Lord speaking, right? Then it says this, verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Pray. Now the worship service is getting going. Amen. Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. You ever, you ever been in a service and you just you had to say amen? Or hallelujah? And nobody was nobody was priming the pump but the Holy Spirit. There's been times where I just said, sometimes loudly, sometimes softly, Glory to God. Glory to God. Sometimes you hear somebody sing. They, they're singing a song. By the way, it doesn't even have to be somebody that sings well. The Holy Spirit just gets you. And then it's the words of that song. And, and you, it's glory to God. Just imagine this. The multitude of the heavenly hosts. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. Goodwill toward men. There's all 
always been a theological debate. Do angels sing? I don't know. Neither does any other feather-headed professor either. But we know this. They praise God, and I know this, Pastor Alex. A lot of praise in the singing. I'll just, I'll just land right there. That'd be fine. Amen. I don't know if the angel. I know, I know we've got something to sing about redemption that the angels can't sing about. I get that. But I, hap, I happen to think that if Lucifer was in charge of music, then there was probably an angelic choir. And I'm looking forward to hearing them praise. I'm looking forward to praising God with them. Abiding, watching, fearing, listening. What they listen to, the messenger, the message, and the multitudes. Then we see them conversing. And I love this. Verse 15. It says, And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them. And by the way, isn't that like an amazing worship service? It starts, it goes, and then it ends. Go on with life. What happens here? Shepherds said one to another, Let us go even unto Bethlehem. Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. By the way, did God owe them a sign? He didn't at all. Babe didn't have to be wrapped in swaddling clothes, but it was. So what do we see them here? We see them abiding, watching, fearing, listening, conversing. And they're conversing about two things. They're conversing about the Word of God and the will of God. And were that more Christians, forgive me, would lay off the Fox News and the YouTube and every other stinking conspiracy and just talk a little bit more about the Word of God and the will of God. Huh? That's exactly what they were talking They said, hey, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known. I love it when people come to me. Uh, New Testament pastors say, preacher, look at this. Man, God showed this to me this week. Isn't that wonderful? Man, that is wonderful. Glory. Conversing about the Word of God and about the will of God. And we see something else here. <laughs> Verse 16. And they came with what? What do you see here? I see seeking. Not only conversing and listening, fearing, watching, abiding, but seeking. And that goes back to verse 12. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Verse 15. Let us go now, even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Somebody said this was the first Christmas rush. <laughs> I like that. They came with haste. You know, sometimes we've been saved a little longer. And I understand there's, there's, there's wisdom that comes along with being a Christian a little while, but Christians. I need to go now and witness to that person. I need to go now and help that person. Well, that, again, sometimes getting older is a blessing, but sometimes it can, be, uh, it can lead to apathy too, can it? 
Oh, you know, I mean, they're just excited. They're just Listen, if somebody gets saved and somebody's excited about the things of God, don't throw water on them. Why don't you take the blanket and fan their flame and let it fan the embers of your heart? Seeking. What else do we see here? Look at verse 17. Or 16, I'm sorry. It says, and when they came with haste, they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Not only do we see them seeking, but finding. Finding. You say, well, how do we apply that into our lives, Pastor? Well, this is what Acts 17, verse 27 said in Paul's sermon on Mars Hill. He's talking about God here. He said, and he hath made of one blood all nations of men. By the way, that verse is the cure for racism right there. Just... What, what race are you? I'm part of the human race. Thank you very much. To dwell on the face of the earth and have determined the times before appointed, the bounds of the habitation. This is what he says. That they should seek the Lord. If happily, they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Remember what it says in the, the, the Proverbs, They that seek me early shall find me. I believe that means in the early part of the day, but also in the early part of life. Seeking. Hey, young people, can I ask you a question? How are you doing on your Bible reading? We talk a lot about mom and dad. Do you read your Bible because you want to? Hmm? Do you read your Bible because they make you? Listen, my, my kids are in my house. Hey, do you read your Bible? Do you do your devotions? There's going to come a day, Brother Hutchins, real soon. Whether they're either going to do it because they want to or not. Hey, here's what I know. If we'll seek, we'll find. You're seeking for truth in this book, you'll find it. So we find them... Abiding, watching, fearing, listening, conversing, seeking, finding. How about this? This is so neat. Verse 17. And when they had what? Seen it. Can you imagine? This, I've said this before. The, the privilege of the shepherds. That's the name of the message today. The privilege. Not only do they get to enjoy that worship service. But then, they get to literally see the Word of God fulfilled right in front of their eyes. It's amazing. There's a church in New York, and it's a chapel, and many preachers would come through that chapel and preach the Word of God to people, and they had a sign in the pulpit. It was in the pulpit. Nobody else could see it. Only the preacher would, could see it. And it, it was a sign, and it was John 12, 21. And it says, Sirs, we would see Jesus. We would see Jesus. You know, some people have well said that you're the only Bible that many people will read. It's found, by the way, in 2 Corinthians 
chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. And then it says this, For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. Can I ask you a question? When people see you, do they see Jesus? should. I thought to myself yesterday, I just, you know, we all, we all get in a, in a bad mood occasionally. Now some of you have been in a bad mood since 1983. It's time to get out of that bad mood, amen? No, but yeah, you know, just every once in a while we get frustrated and, and this and all that. And I think to myself, you know what? It doesn't, the world, think about this. The world doesn't care about my doctrine if my disposition is wrong. They don't care. It, and forget it, if I can put it this way. If you're just a jerk, nobody cares what you have to say. They see Jesus. These shepherds, they literally saw with their own eyes. Can I tell you what the Apostle Peter said? talked about the Mount of Transfiguration and he said, we saw it. We, we were there with Jesus and Moses and Elijah and Jesus in his glory. And he said this, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, wherein you do well until you take heed. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's this book right here. You can see Jesus in this book and then people can see Jesus in you. Seeing, finding, seeking, conversing, listening, fearing, watching, abiding. Look at verse 17 and 18. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all that heard it wondered at those things which were what? Told them by the shepherds. What do we see them here? Telling. Telling. Again, we, we've got the, the uh, soul winning training coming up with Bo Trevor, and that's a good thing. I hope you plan on attending that. If you could just learn one little tip that would help save a soul forever, it'd be worth three hours of your time. Amen. There's no cost to it or anything like that. But I love. I love the woman at the well. Listen, forgive me. The woman at the well was a mess. You don't think so? She was married five times. And then she was living with somebody she wasn't married to. That's a mess. Okay? And yet, she had an encounter with Jesus. And you know what she did? She went into town and said, Come see a man that told me all that I did. Is not this the Christ? She was witnessing. She was telling. Acts 1.8 Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. In January and February, we're going to be highlighting a different ministry every week. Different ministry. One of the ones that's been such a blessing to me in this last year is our free Bible outreach. But here 
here's where I want to challenge each one of us. And, and I am so glad for how it's worked out. And I realize we're getting ready weather-wise to kind of slow it down a little bit and all that. But I'll tell you this, folks. Brother Cole, you should be having to turn people away. That we have so many volunteers of people wanting to get the Word of God out to people. You know why? Because we're supposed to. That is the primary purpose why Jesus Christ left us here. Is to get the word to tell. Go tell it on the mountain. Over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. And lived. And died. And rose again so that you could be saved. Amen? Telling. They told what did they tell? They tell what they had seen. They told what had happened. That's what a witness does. Tells what had happened. Lastly, and I love this. Oh, this whole text. Such a great text. Abiding, watching, fearing, listening, conversing, seeking, finding, seeing, telling. Look at verse 20. It says, And the shepherds returned... Glorifying and what? Praising God. And I love this. For all the things that they had heard and seen and was told unto them. That's a preaching verse right there. I don't worry. I'm not going to preach it. Amen. Just, what were they doing here? Praising. Praising. They were praising God for the things that they had seen and heard as it had been told them. We just finished a couple Sunday nights ago. And I'll end with this text and we'll close our service this morning. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the psaltery and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise Him upon the loud cymbals. Praise Him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. You know, the shepherds had had an unbelievable experience. And you know what it caused them to do? Praise Him. Praise Him. Why don't you ask God today, God, help me to really get Christmas this year. And you know what will happen? You'll praise Him. You'll praise Him. Privilege of the shepherds, Father, we love you. Thank you.